Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Spencer Gray. Spencer is a serial entrepreneur, multifamily investor, and founder and president of Gray Capital, a real estate investment firm based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. Since founding the firm, Spencer has been involved in over $1 billion in real estate projects and invested in over 9,000 multifamily units. Spencer has built an amazing business and brand and has probably grown a platform to be able to raise more money than most that I've heard or even had on the podcast. And so he lays out when we talk a little more in depth about his specific platform, we go from the investment club that he's created to Google ads, to building your own platform, different strategies, to working with family offices or not, but even some things he calls multifamily offices. It's not multifamily real estate, but it's multifamily offices, numerous family offices that are together, or maybe have one spokesperson that you're working with. And so he goes into that, but also the tech side of his business that he lays out that he uses when he is raising money from investors and what that looks like. I know you are going to learn a lot today. If you have a syndication business, commercial real estate business in any way, you're going to enjoy the show today. Spencer, welcome to the show. Let's talk about how you got started with working with family offices. It's a different space. It's a unique space. There's a lot of similarities and then some big differences working with an individual and then a family office. And now family office, it's a broad category. There are some family offices that function like institutions, billions of dollars large with you know dozens of staff members, investment committees. Then there's also some family offices where it is, you know, run by the family, or maybe it's the family and you know, one investment advisor or you know, very small staff. But the big difference is there are typically systems in place. It is much more, I guess, institutionalized through their specific criteria. But at the end of the day, it's really about forming that relationship and getting to a level of where they very much trust the operator, or the manager they're going to be working with. So you know, in general, that sales cycle is typically much longer where you know, we may have an individual investor come on our platform, they may be ready to go in a couple of weeks. Family offices, it's more of a conversation of months, if not a year before they feel comfortable, they see the projects. And so we've worked with both individual single family offices, as well as multifamily offices. And then actually a lot of success with the multifamily offices, which is essentially a wealth management firm that is acting as a family office for multiple families. And it's been accretive to our business because instead of just working with one group or a lot of different individuals, different families, by approaching this one multifamily office, they're able to do the due diligence upfront and then make a recommendation to the families that they represent, basically handle a lot of that back end, really kind of pitching the deal itself, pitching us, even a lot of the administration kind of at the back end, but we really have one point of contact. So it allows us to be much more efficient with our capital raising because instead of raising you know millions of dollars from dozens of individuals, we can raise tens of millions of dollars in one point of contact. Now they all work a little bit differently, 
But if you can check all of the right boxes and if you can align yourself and it does take a little bit of making sure your brand is aligned and you know, you've checked all the boxes from a track record. But if you can and you make that effort, it's a huge space. And just with the incredible demand for any type of investment that has any kind of substantial yield, there's this huge global chase in yield and return and multifamily investing is really in this sweet spot that a lot of family offices, individuals everywhere are trying to get into. And again, they're looking for that right avenue. And you're really helping, specifically on the multifamily office side, you are really helping that firm provide a service and an opportunity to the families that they represent. They're looking for opportunities. They're just trying to find the right partner to be able to provide. So it's a really a win-win from the multifamily office side as well as our firm. And it's one of those things that you can just, it can accelerate your ability to raise capital and do more deals. And that's what it's done for us. Somebody getting started in the syndication business and raising money, it's so intimidating, right? When you have that first conversation with an investor, or maybe you start having the second one and the third, eventually it starts getting easier, right? You see a lot of times the same questions and you get more and more prepared as you go along. But I think oftentimes people hear about a family office, like, oh, like it's a whole nother level of intimidation. Oftentimes, I think that kind of comes on somebody's shoulders when they think about working with a family office. Tell us how you got started with working with a family office and somebody that's listening that says, you know what, that may be a good option for me as I'm just not able to go out there and connect with 200 investors. How do they get started? There's a handful of ways to get started. So there are family office conferences and meetings that take place just like there's multifamily conferences. And I started attending some of those events. And I'll be honest, they're not the cheapest conferences or events to attend because obviously there is some gatekeeping involved and they only want serious large managers. And so really it was back in 2019, I decided I'm going to make an investment and go to start going to these conferences. I spent a decent amount of money that year just attending, just to kind of get in that space and to learn more about it. And so if you don't have the network already, there's some gatekeeping fees that sometimes you have to pay. But once you get in that world, you realize people are just still people. And no matter what investor, I've had conversations with every different type of investor, very institutional to just learning about it. And at the end of the day, you're talking to a person, you're trying to form a relationship. And at least my belief is people want to do business and work with people. They, and this is nothing I'm making up, but you know, they like, know, and trust. And if I can form that relationship with these individuals, and again, these are very sophisticated organizations. I will look at the resume and I just got back from a family office conference last week. Their resumes, PhDs and every type of investment strategy and economics that you want. And my palms are definitely sweaty before I have these conversations. But then they look at you and you're like, yeah, I've developed this super complicated option strategy, but we need to figure out this real estate investing thing. And we haven't figured it out and we need some help. And then all of a sudden you're in a position to help these sophisticated groups that surprisingly aren't always allocated to commercial real estate and multifamily. And so it is intimidating, but it's as intimidating as talking to that first investor that you have that conversation with. And you just kind of have to do it. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And if you believe in yourself and if you believe what you're doing, if you believe in investing in multifamily and you have the ability to execute, there's nothing you need to worry about. It's just showing up and having the conversation and just being a real person. It really goes back to even the mindset shift to that first investor, right? You're still offering an opportunity for them. You're not just asking for money here from your, say, your father-in-law for your random business. Exactly. 
That's what I tell our team and our investor relations guys is that, you know, it's not like we're selling them some widget that they don't need. We're providing an opportunity to, we're going to make them more money. If we don't believe it, then we've got a major problem. But like, this is a great opportunity that we're investing in. We're putting our own money in. And we think everybody should, not just because we're trying to put these deals together. That's great. But we think, I tell my family and my friends, I'm like, this is something I think you should do. And the reason why we built out a platform is because I, I believe that it's a great asset class that more people should be allocating themselves towards. And if we can help people do that, then it's just a great opportunity to be in. That's awesome. Well, we're running a low on time, unfortunately. I'm sure we'll have to have you back on the show at some yeah, point because there's so many things we could talk about. I wanted to ask you quickly, though, because listeners often ask like tech that you use you know, around the capital race process, how you've simplified that. If you could just highlight some of the tech pieces that you use that helps with that. So right now for kind of our tech stack, I guess as they say, so our CRM, we're using HubSpot for our CRM, we're using IMS, which is a real page product for our investor portal itself. In which, and then we're using uh, Verify Investors. We do 506C raises now. We use Verify Investor to verify accredited investors. We're actually going through a redesign of our website. We're doing a little bit of a rebrand that we're going to launch in Q1 of 2022. So we're kind of in the process of that right now. But, you know, those kind of are the key, I guess, components of our technology stack. We've got a handful of other smaller pieces, but those are kind of the core elements to make it up. And even a little deeper than that, how does an investor know about your opportunity to invest? And then how do they sign up? What tech are you using like for them to sign up and get started? The best way to be notified of opportunities is to join our investment club. And so greatcapitalllc.com, there's a button to join the club. If you join that club, that'll put you in the queue to get updated as soon as we have a new project. I and mean, we typically also, you know, we'll use like a landing page for folks who aren't already in the club. Maybe they're a little bit intimidated by joining a club. It's free to do, but we'll have a landing page to kind of gauge interest that we publicize on social media through advertising as well. But the best way to kind of get notified is by joining the club. Is basically the way we roll out our projects is, you know, we let our existing investors know first. We let investors who weren't able to invest in our last project know next. And then it goes to all the members of our investment club before we kind of roll it out to the general public. So kind of the more involved you are on the platform, kind of the easier it is to get that information. But, you know, greatcapitalllc.com and join the club is the best way to kind of get in the loop. Okay. Well, a few more questions. Thinking through just the current market, and where we're at, you know, everybody talks about the next six to 12 months and nobody knows. We never know what's going to happen, right? In the next six to 12 months. But ultimately, we don't know. So how do you prepare for a potential downturn? What do you like to see in that project makes you feel better about moving forward right now with the unknowns? Simplest answer is cash flow. It comes down to what kind of cash flow is in place on day one of acquisition. And then what is our ability to increase NOI out of the gate? things that are not market dependent. So, I mean, it's great that we can raise rents. I mean, there's a huge gap right now between in-place rents and market rents. And I think a lot of people are targeting that. But even though I think it's a low probability, if the economy absolutely crashes and you can't raise rents over the next two years, you need to be able to hold on and have those current in-place cash flows be sufficient enough to get you through any kind of storm. So really what I'm, I mean, there's tons of KPIs that we're focused on, but I mean, as basic as it is, I mean, cash flow is the lifeblood of any business. And, and so if there's strong in place cash flow, and then with an opportunity for us to maybe, you know, increase that cash flow by, you know, direct management efficiencies, that's really what we focus on out of the gate 
And then obviously look at having healthy reserves. You know, that's the other thing that we've learned over time is I'd rather overcapitalize a project than undercapitalize. And we started out, I think we were just, we did a couple deals where we were just a little bit skinnier on our excess reserves. And even though, you know, bringing excess reserves lowers that overall returns to bring more equity to a project, it's all a balance of risk and return. And so, yeah, bring on more equity, it lowers the return, but it also lowers the risk. And so by having an extra half a million dollars in the bank account to know that I can cover that service. If there's something that pops up that whatever it may be, we're good because we're just, we're focused on preservation of principle. Because if you lose the project, nothing else matters. And so preservation of principle, cash flow, I think are two keys that we focus on. Couldn't agree more. Cash flow and reserves. Oh man, we closed the project a week before they shut the country down last March. And we had a million and a half dollars in a reserve budget, a big renovation project as well. But some investors are like, well, that hurts the returns. And I'm like, hey, we're going to sleep a lot better at night. <laughs> you know. And then the country shut down a week later. And obviously everybody's pretty happy that we did that. <laughs> you know. So couldn't agree more. Great answer. What's a way you've recently improved your syndication business that we could apply to ours? Well, I guess the biggest change, and I'm not sure what you all are doing, if you're doing 506C raise or not, but we've switched to doing 506C syndications from 506B. We kind of ripped the Band-Aid off. I got some advice from a couple of large syndicators. I think Joe Fairless was one and you know a handful of others are basically, just got to do it. We were on that edge. We were scared because we had a lot of sophisticated investors that we did not want to not include on our projects. And we we're saying, here's a million dollars here that we're not going to be able to raise from known investors. We knew it was the future of our business of what we wanted to do. Because I think one of the things our group and our team is good at is we're good at marketing and we wanted to be able to market our projects. We wanted to be able to talk about them. And it was one of the best decisions that we've made in the business is go down that 506C route, being able to publicly advertise your projects. Now we're limited to only accredited investors. But again, the accredited investors tend to have more money to invest. And so the flip side is our last project it was a $5 million raise. We're closing on it today. We had $21 million in interest in 36 hours after launching. And this was you know, for existing investors. I had a couple LinkedIn posts that had the multiple millions of dollars came in from unknown individuals within... 12 hours or so. And so that ability to get the word out, because there are so many individuals and institutions that are just hungry for these great opportunities, they're just looking for them. So if you're on the fence, should I do 506C, 506B? And again, this is not good for us, because it's more competition, but I don't really don't care that much. But 506C is very powerful to be able to advertise. So that's one thing that we've done recently. No, that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. What about some tips on how you personally take care of your investors? How do you shine your investor over other people they're investing with? Part of that comes back to keeping them up to date with what's going on in the market and letting them know our thoughts on the market. You know, we're very transparent of letting everyone know exactly what we think, kind of the good, bad, or the ugly. And then also coming back to that kind of that portfolio construction. It's something that I'm very interested in and passionate about of like, let's make like a blueprint and we'll actually do portfolio blueprints to investors of laying out, okay, you know, over the next three years, you're looking to allocate X amount of capital. What are your goals? What are your preferences in terms of cash flow, appreciation, risk profile? Let's build out a sample portfolio. Let's see what it's going to look like. Let's pro forma some of those returns. Let's make some projections. And is this looking like what you want to see over the next couple of years? 
just because everybody's different. Everybody has slightly different goals. Sometimes there's a lot of overlap. But if we can take that extra meeting or two, whether it's an extra hour here or there, to kind of just, again, paint that more complete picture and take the focus away from just looking at one deal and one opportunity and look at what is the true goal here over time. And that taking a step back of saying, what is our why? Why are we doing this? It's not, we're not investing in real estate to invest in real estate. We're not trying to build wealth just to build wealth. You know, what are we trying to do? Whether we're trying to retire, you know, soon, trying to build a new business, whether it's trying to get into real estate syndication, just like I was, and a lot of people are, they say, I want to get into my first deal. I'm going to do a couple of deals and then I want to do, start doing my own thing. I think that's great. It's a huge space. The more, the merrier. Spencer, what are some daily habits that you have that you're disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? I've got a handful of daily habits. The most important is taking some time to meditate and having some very quiet time for just myself to really internalize what is going on in a given day. I typically do it in the morning, take about really 20 to 30 minutes and absolute silence and really just kind of break down what's going on. Because in the middle of the day, everything's moving so fast paced. You don't have the ability to get to the core of what you're trying to achieve and really to focus on your goals. And so taking that time to me is incredibly important. And then also writing down goals to me. I started doing that about three and a half years ago. And if I had not started writing down my goals, I would have gone off on the wrong direction. I would not have achieved what I wanted to achieve because you know, I was investing in real estate, but on top of my sheet of my goals, it's, you know, I had build a scalable business every single night was build a scalable business. And I had an opportunity kind of in the middle of getting great capital started, I could have gone and worked for another real estate syndicator, another firm kind of inside of their organization. And it was a very appealing opportunity, but I went back to my goals and I said, how is doing that? I could have figured out a roundabout way of justifying it. I'm not going to achieve my goals by working for somebody else. Awesome. I appreciate you elaborating on the example as well, because that could have seemed like a very good opportunity, right? It may have, but who knows? Right. We're here where we are. Yeah. If you had to pick one thing that's contributed to your success, though, what would that be? Having an open mind and specifically being open to partnerships. Again, at first, we were not as open to partnerships and expanding that openness allowed us to, again, to kind of get started, start doing deals because no one can do anything just on their own. And so in working with people, creative partnerships is the way to go. How do you like to give back? I like to give back a handful of ways. So my wife and I were very active in a handful of charities here in Indianapolis, some organizations we feel strongly about. A lot of it has to do with education and then also financial education, really trying to help people learn about money because, and this is almost overstated in the sphere that you know we're in because people are focused on financial education, but it still amazes me what is not taught in schools about money, how it's created, how it's destroyed, how to balance a checkbook, write a check. What is a mortgage? What is insurance? These are things that everyone in life is going to deal with. It's not taught in schools. And then when you're in high school, it's encouraged to take on tens of thousands, if not hundred thousands of dollars in debt without understanding what that is. And so that's something that we're passionate about. And I think if more people understood, we'd be, we'd live in a probably a better society. Well, thank you so much, Spencer. It's been a pleasure to get to know you better. I've heard of you as well, just in the industry. I can't believe we've not met before, but amazing business that you've built. And I know the listeners and myself have learned a lot. 
from what you have shared and congratulations on the success and going from creating your investment club. I think it's just an incredible thing, you know, that happens in people's minds too, and they can be part of a club. Some don't want to be, but oftentimes people do. But just creating the systems that you have and even, you know, from Google ads to just all the advertising you've created in the newsletter you talked about, but to even working and getting started with family offices and that maybe it's not as intimidating as we often feel like when getting started there. But the tech that you use to, I mean, that alone can save people so much time, right? Like learning what somebody else uses instead of having to try so many different things or doing so much research. So thanks again for your time and willingness to be so transparent. Tell the listeners again how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. First, you absolutely appreciate it, Whitney. This was a really great time. It's a pleasure meeting you and being on the show. Best way to get in touch with me, you could email me, spencer at greatcapitalllc.com. Also, just by hopping on to greatcapitalllc.com. We've got a lot of resources there. And if anyone's interested in taking a look at this multifamily intelligence aggregator that we built, that's kind of bringing in all this report, it's greatreport.com. And that's updated essentially every single day. But then also by signing up for our newsletter, you'll get kind of a summary of that every Thursday morning. So greatreport.com and greatcapitalllc.com. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success. 